This morning's scripture reading is uh, from Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish in containers bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. There, there seems to be something inside of us that loves the story of someone finding a hidden treasure. I couldn't venture a guess as to how many um, books or TV episodes or movies or stories follow sort of the Treasure Island plot line where there's some kind of a map that gives some kind of a clues, some kind of clues that people can find and there's the X marks the spot and there's a, there's a treasure there. It's, it's so common in our culture, it's become cliche. But even real life stuff, TV shows like uh, American Pickers and Storage Wars and uh, Antiques Roadshow are still popular because the story of someone finding a hidden treasure seems to have universal appeal. Here's a couple of my favorites. I like Antiques Roadshow. The, the, this little lion statue on the top, um, a woman brought that in. Her grandparents went on vacation to China, and they found that old statue and brought it home in their suitcase. Then years later, she brought it to the Antiques Roadshow and found out it was way older than anybody thought. It was hand-carved during the Tang Dynasty, which means this thing was carved about the year 700 and she was told it's worth a quarter of a million dollars. Her parents brought it home from vacation in a suitcase. This little table, you can see these guys' legs. It's just a short little table. Um, the lady who brought that in said that she was looking for, in her words, a diminutive table to fit a small spot in my house. Uh, she paid 25 bucks for that baby at a garage sale. When she brought it in, these two brothers who are the furniture experts immediately saw it. They beelined toward her. They turned that thing upside down and found the original label still affixed. And I don't even remember the guy's name because it means nothing to me. John Seymour is the furniture maker who built that. 
uh, in colonial America. Table dates to 1794. These two experts were choked up and nearly weeping just looking at this table. She spent $25 on it and told her at auction it would be, it would sell for half a million dollars. Those kinds of stories, excuse me. of stories are pretty universally appealing. I think it's because we like to think that treasure is accessible. That maybe this could happen to me. Maybe I could be the one to find the treasure that changes my life. Well, this has apparently always been an attractive storyline. Because in the passage that John read for us today, Jesus starts with two little parables that are about someone finding the treasure of a lifetime. In Jesus' day, that was a more literal thing than the way we think of finding buried treasure. We think of it more like something in our attic. In Jesus' day, there weren't uh, banks and safe deposit boxes and storage companies, so people literally did bury a lot of valuables to keep them in a secret place, to keep them from being stolen. So to Jesus' audience, this may have been a little more of of a literal thing, but still, Jesus is a master storyteller, and he knows he is striking a nerve with a story of somebody happening upon the treasure of a lifetime. It's as if, What Jesus is saying to his disciples in that crowd that day and to you this morning is, what if this was you? What if there really were a treasure? And what if you were the one to really find an invaluable treasure that really could change your life and change your eternity? What would you do? We're really going to study four quick parables today. The first two obviously go together. They're they're very, very similar. The second two, maybe at first glance, don't seem to go with the first two, but they do. This is a tight unit of four little stories that go together, and they are all about the people who have found the treasure. We'll see what the Lord has for us in these four parables. We'll start with the one usually called the treasure hidden in a field. This is actually Rembrandt's uh, painting depiction of that, of that story. It reads this way. It's Jesus speaking and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a person found and then hid again. And then because of joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. Before I dig into, no pun intended, dig into what I do want to tell you about this parable, I want to tell you again something I don't think we have to discuss. I don't think we have to wrestle through the morality of what happens in this parable. Because the guy, he stumbles upon this treasure, he finds this treasure hidden in the field, he wasn't in the market for any piece of land, and he hides this. And goes and buys that piece of land. Remember, these are made up stories to prove a real point. And usually parables have one main 
point. And oftentimes, Jesus would use a questionable character or somebody doing something questionably, you know, questionable, whether it's right or wrong, to prove the point. And he's not giving us an, an excuse to be like the person in the story. For example, earlier in Matthew, Jesus told us uh, to be wise as serpents. He wasn't telling us he wanted us to be a bunch of snakes, right? But there's something about snake behavior we can learn from and emulate. In the book of Luke, here's maybe the best example. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells the story of the, this parable of this steward, a guy that works for a wealthy man who's going to get fired. And he takes off on, he literally is like doing embezzlement in this parable. And there's something from that unfaithful, this, this, uh, this embezzling, dishonest steward that Jesus wants us to learn from. But he's not giving us permission to embezzle funds. Jesus will say later in this book that when he returns, he's going to come back like a what? Like a thief in the night. Does that mean he's going to come back and steal your TV? Does that mean he's, it's okay for you to be a thief if Jesus is going to be a thief? No. He just uses an example to teach one main point. So I don't think we have to wrestle through whether or not it was okay for this guy. Shouldn't he have disclosed that treasure on the purchase agreement? Or what if the, what if the landowner kept the mineral rights to that parcel of land? Whose treasure really is it? That, that's not the point. There's one point, and here's the point. Jesus said, having access to the kingdom of heaven is like if you stumbled onto a treasure that was worth way so much more than anything you could ever possess or have. You should be willing to give up everything you have if you could just have that treasure. That's what this guy does. The second parable, very similar. The parable of the pearl, Jesus still speaking. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking for fine pearls. When he found a pearl of great value or the pearl of great price, he went out and sold everything he had and bought it. Uh, pearls were much more valuable and rarer, rarer, more rare. We'll go with rarer. Um, pearls were much rarer than they are today and thus more valuable. They rivaled gold in value. So Jesus is picking something. Today, if he were telling the story, he'd probably use diamonds. Like let's say there's a, there's a jeweler that was searching for fine gemstones and he found like this huge rock of a diamond. And he decided, I'd rather, I'll, I'll liquidate my entire inventory just to be the owner of that one diamond. In this case, one pearl. So both of these stories are very similar. They're about someone who suddenly has access to a treasure. They didn't even, the first guy didn't even know it existed. And they're willing to, to give up everything to get it. And what is the treasure? It's the kingdom of heaven. It's having access to eternal life. And what Peter said, for, for those who have access to the kingdom, Peter said, we have an inheritance that's imperishable. 
It's not going to go away. It's undefiled. It's not going to spoil. It's unfading. It's not going to reduce in value. And it is, redu- it is reserved in heaven for you. That's the treasure. Now, it's very obvious how these two are similar. But they're not identical. And I think there's, Jesus is doing something that's so awesome from a storytelling perspective by giving these two uh, parables that seem to say the same exact thing, but they don't. Can you tell the difference in the two men and how they come upon having access to their treasure? The, the second guy is a merchant. He's a pearl merchant. He's been searching his whole career for a pearl and he for a pearl like that and he he knows like the mother load when he sees it right because he's been looking The first guy seems to just have stumbled on to the treasure He wasn't in the market for real estate he wasn't a treasure hunter he just happened upon his treasure and here's what I think, this, this passage speaks to every single person. If you have ears and you are here today, or if you have ears and you're listening to this on the inter, from the internet later, you are in this thing. This speaks to you somewhere. Here's this part, how it appeals to a universal audience. People still come to understand what the treasure is that Jesus is speaking of in a number of different ways. Some people just sort of happen on it like acts by accident. Some people search and they try different thought systems and different religions and different philosophies and they're looking for truth and then they come upon the treasure. Let me give you some personal examples. Uh, for Rachel and me, when we moved uh, Ike and Adelaide said wasn't born yet, but when we moved to Kansas years ago, we were a little more like the pearl merchant. We were searching. Because we had, we had tried to build our life together and our lives separately on stuff that wouldn't hold our joy. It wasn't working. Life wasn't good. And we had enough of, of a background in religion, at least, where we started, we were searching, we even prayed that God would put us someplace where we could find a life, we could build a life with some value and some purpose and some joy. And by His grace, He led us to an e-free church in Smith Center, Kansas. We were discipled and, and we learned the joy that Jesus offered through his death on the cross, that God offered us through his son, and the joy that came with building a life on something that really matters. We learned what the real treasure was, and we had been searching. Now we went to church with a guy who was more like the guy who stumbled on the treasure. Here's his story. He did a lot of traveling. He was barreling down the interstate late at night trying to get home. He was not a a religious person of any sort or stripe. But he's getting tired. He's starting to get sleepy at the wheel. And so on the radio, he was trying to find something that would catch and hold his attention. And so he had 
gone up and down the dial a couple times. And now kids, check this out. There used to be in the car, there used to be this little red needle that would actually move to the left and the right when you were looking for a radio station. And this guy, he up and down, the, could not get anything to come in on his radio except some preacher that was getting ready to preach. And he had no interest in hearing about God or a sermon or anything like that. But he had even less interest in falling asleep at the wheel and dying in a fiery crash. So he decided, I'm going to listen to this thing. And by the end of it, he understood what the real treasure was. And right there, 10 and 2, sleepy eyes through tears. Driving down the interstate, he gave his life to Jesus Christ and became a Christian just like that. Even though he had no plan or no desire to listen to anything about God. Some people search and find the treasure through a search. Some people just stumble onto it. And that's how these two guys are different, but don't miss how they're similar. This is very important. It's almost too obvious, but but this is the most important thing. What these guys have in common is this. Though one was searching and one stumbled onto it, they each came to have access to uh, the treasure of a lifetime. And what did they each do? They each bought the treasure. This is a, these are much worse stories if they come to understand, wow, that's an impressive treasure, and then they walk. They become tragedies in a hurry if that's how the stories end, but they don't. They acquire the treasure for themselves. Listen to me. Understanding that a treasure is a treasure is not the same thing as acquiring the treasure. You hear me? I like classic cars. I'm not a real gearhead or anything. But I like the car show at the fair. And I understand how valuable the treasure some of those guys have when they've got a well-restored classic automobile. Right? Now, I'm never going to own one. But it's not because I don't understand they're valuable. It's not because I wouldn't love to have one. I'd love to have a a 1934 Ford 5 window coupe. And you know why I'd like to have one of those? Because that's what ZZ Top drove in the late 80s, boys and girls. And that thing was cool. Right? Um, It's not that I don't understand there's a treasure and a valuable treasure there. But I'm not buying one. You know why? Because there's other stuff I value a lot more. I know those things are treasures, but I'm not going to give up what it would take for me to have one of those. Now, buying the treasure in Jesus' parables here, what he's really talking about is not a financial transaction like me buying a classic car would be. I'm not going to have the guys pass the plates again and see right see if you really want to go to heaven by how much money no this is not a financial transaction at all you know why because the price has been paid by someone else for you to have access to this treasure 
God said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. I'll punish every single sin. He just did it on his son on the cross. He paid the price your sins deserve and my sins deserve. That's what redemption means. To redeem something is to pay the price required and remove it. So we don't have to pay a financial price to go to heaven. But listen, being a real disciple does involve investment and sacrifice. Being a disciple, a follower of Jesus will always include leaving certain things behind that I used to treasure because there's something new I now treasure. Right? God is not up in heaven with a list of things I have to quit before I can make it into heaven. And if I don't quit all these bad things and start all these good things, you're not getting in, Maxwell, because I'm keeping score and I get really angry if you haven't given up enough bad stuff and started enough good stuff. That's not the way this works. But if I'm a disciple, I will give up bad stuff and start good stuff. Not because God's going to punish me if I don't. The same reason the first guy bought the, his treasure. Look at what it says in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field that a person found and hid. And then because of what? Because of joy, he went out and sold all that he had and he bought that field. He sold everything else of value in his life and it was a joy to do so because he had found something better than all that other stuff in his life. That's why, as a Christian, sometimes God leads us and asks, asks us to quit certain things and start other things. And why we should be willing to do it is because Jesus is better than all those other things we used to build our life on and make our identity out of. Because of joy. Is there a cost of being a disciple? Yes. Sometimes he says, I want you to leave that behind for me because I'm better. That will not hold and sustain your hope and your joy. It will let you down. Invest in me, Jesus said. I'm your joy. And just like with these guys, it's no-brainer worth it ultimately every single time. But discovering that the treasure is the treasure is not the same thing as acquiring it for yourself. It's just not. And I don't know which guy you are more like. Maybe you've been searching. Maybe you've been uh, curious. So you're like the pearl merchant. Maybe you get dragged to church on Sundays. Maybe you have very little interest in being here right now. Maybe you come to church to keep peace at home because coming to church for an hour and a half makes more sense than fighting about not coming to church for two hours and a half. Maybe you just stumbled in here in that way. I don't care which one you're more like. Here's what I care a great deal about, though. Now that you're here, if you understand that the treasure is the treasure, like acquire the treasure, 
buy the treasure. Invest in the treasure. And don't wait. Don't wait. You know why? Look at Jesus' next parable with me. He tells this parable of a dragnet. This would have been a big, like a seine, we might call it. It's drug between probably two boats. And they catch all kinds of fish. And when it's full, they pull it up on shore. Jesus says it this way. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It was cast into the sea, caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, they pulled it ashore. They sat down. They put the good fish into containers. They threw the bad away. And then Jesus says this. It's going to be the same way at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the evil people from the righteous people. And he's going to throw the evil people, the the unrighteous people, into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not a fun idea. This is not a palatable idea. This may not seem like a fair idea. But here's here's the truth. Jesus is saying it's a true idea. This is coming. Nobody gets bent out of shape. People get bent out of shape of a God of judgment. Fire and brimstone preaching. We don't like it. So Jesus uses the example of a fisherman. Nobody gets bent out of shape by somebody catching a bunch of fish. And because he's the fisherman and they're just fish, using his standards to decide which fish are keepers. (laughs) Excuse me. Look out down there. You're in the splash zone this morning. Uh, Nobody gets bent out of shape by the fisherman using his standards to decide which fish are keepers and which fish like get thrown up on the bank for the raccoons to eat, right? To put a little local flavor on this story. Nobody gets bent out of shape by a fisherman doing that. Jesus said, well, God is like the great fisherman. And and between us and God, we're like so many fish. And someday, God's going to pick up each human and decide whether they are keepers or not. I'm holding it like, like he's picking us up by the bottom lip. Sorry, I should, probably I should hold it like this. Like he's going to pick you up like, like we're bass or something. Um, some of you are large mouth bass, but I don't want to go into that. Some of you are small mouth. Jesus is saying, at the end of the age, the angels are going to collect everybody. God's going to take each one of us like so many fish and look at us to determine, are we a righteous fish Are we a righteous person? Are we a good person? Or are we a non-righteous person? Are we a bad person? And be thrown back. Now here's the bad news. And Jesus doesn't go into this right now. Or right here. What makes the difference in whether a fish is a keeper or gets thrown up on the bank for the coons to eat? How does someone get to be seen as righteous in God's eyes? If you are hoping to be a good person, to, be, to live a good enough life to where when God picks you up, he says, hey, man, look at, boy, look at this guy. Look at this gal. That's a good person. He did way more good things than he did bad things, and he made some mistakes, but I can overlook those things. That's a good person. I'm going to put him on my heavenly stringer and keep him because he's been so good. That's a terrible plan. Because the Bible couldn't be clearer. There is no one righteous, not even one. It says that three times. 
It couldn't be clearer that not one single person will be in heaven because they deserve to be there. Save Jesus Christ. So how so will there be any keepers? Yes. Here's how a keeper becomes a keeper when God looks him up and can say, This one is righteous. I'm saving this one. He's a keeper. She's a keeper. It comes through the greatest trade-off in the history of trade-offs. Jesus lived a perfectly, righteously, sinlessly, spotless life, but he was nailed to a cross, and there God opened the cup of his wrath and poured it out on his son, even though he never deserved any punishment. And then Paul, especially in Romans, lays this, this out It's called justification by faith, being seen as righteous like a fish because of faith. Here's the trade-off. Jesus went to the cross under the weight of the sins, not only ours, but of the sins of the whole world, John said. And when I believe that he did that for me, that becomes effective for me. And then here's the other half of the trade-off. So my sins were imputed unto him. And the other half of the trade-off is this. His righteousness gets imputed onto me, gets put onto my account. So that when God picks me up at the end of my life or at the end of the age and looks at me, he does not have to try to see that I'm righteous based on my piddly, measly, wormy righteousness that will not be good enough. He sees the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ when he looks at me someday. He looks at me and I look I look like I lived Jesus' life because he looked like he sinned my sins on the cross. And when God looks at me, he sees. He look, I will look to him on that day because I believed on Jesus. I will look on that day as righteous as Jesus himself. And that's the only reason anybody will ever be a keeper. That's the treasure That's the treasure. Believing by faith that Jesus died for your sins so that you can bear his righteousness and become a keeper in the eyes of God. That's being a keeper. Will it cost you stuff? Yes. Will it be worth it? Absolutely. Buy the treasure. And don't wait. Because a judgment is coming and you don't know when. Last little parable. Jesus says, verse 51, he asks his disciples, have you guys understood all these things? And they said, yes. And so in verse 52, Jesus said to them, therefore, because you understand what the real treasure is and that there's a judgment coming and you're learning what it means to be a keeper, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the confusing one. And here's why. Because of this little word right here, and your Bible might call it teachers of the law, But all the scribes we have met thus far in the book of Matthew have been bad guys. Part of the religious establishment. This isn't about them anymore. How do we know? Because these are scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven. And the scribes we've met so far have rejected the kingdom of heaven. 
Guess who the scribes who have been trained for the kingdom of heaven are? At this point, it's the disciples. In fact, this word right here, uh, the version that John read this morning used the word uh, trained as a disciple. Here's why it puts that in. Um, the, the Greek word for disciple is mathetes. Right here, Matthew uses a verb, uh, uo, a, a version of that, which means to disciple, to be discipled. Jesus, it's like he sneaks in the word disciple in here. Jesus said every scribe, every disciple if you understand what the treasure is, if you've acquired it for yourself, if you've become a keeper in God's eyes, then you're not done. That's not the finish line. That's the starter pistol. Now you're supposed to be discipled as a scribe that's being trained for the kingdom of heaven. Because you have the treasure in your house and it needs to be shared. And Jesus said, you guys will bring out from your treasure what is old and what was new. And here's what he's talking about, I think. A scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven can go to what we call the Old Testament. And out of what is old, they can find that this whole Old Testament, 1,400 years worth of scripture, all pointed to Jesus being the treasure. And Jesus said, you can, you can take for out of what is old and share the treasure. And you guys, you 12 disciples, will take what is new. They are going to write and commission the writing of the New Testament. Which is where we learn how to acquire the treasure for ourselves by grace through faith. And now here's why I say every single person, I don't care what brought you here or what, where you're at, you are in this passage somewhere. Where does this message meet you? Maybe you are just stumbling across the treasure for the very first time. Maybe you've been searching for something to live for, to make meaning out of life. Maybe you've been searching and wondering for years. But the tr- I have ex- tried as best I can to explain to you what the treasure is. So you found the treasure. Now, I buy the treasure. Treasure the treasure. Maybe it's time that you take a little time. to. What is it that you really treasure in your life? Maybe today you might understand, I don't really treasure the treasure. I've always understood what the treasure is. But I don't really treasure the treasure. I I just understand, I think, that that Jesus is going to see, God's going to see me as a keeper, but I haven't treasured the treasure. There's a difference between understanding what the treasure is and investing in the treasure. Have you made it what you treasure? It's worth it. And do you understand those things? Maybe, you're, maybe you already understood those things before you came in here. Well, then here's where you are. You're supposed to be a scribe being discipled and trained for the kingdom of God so that you can be a treasure distributor rather than a treasure hoarder. That's why we do Awana 
That's why we do youth group. We want to we want to share that treasure and we want to disciple young people to be treasure distributors. It's why we do ladies Bible study. It's why we do uh, some s- small groups or finishers group. It's why you, you want to get together with other people and open the word together. It's why we do Sunday school. Because this is the process. We want people to understand what the treasure is. And once we do, we want to dis- train them and disciple them up to be treasure distributors. It's unlimited. You can't give it all away. In fact, if the principles of eternal rewards are correct, and they are, the more you give away, the more you gain. If you're going to treasure Jesus and what he has done for you above everything else, might it cost you something that you currently treasure? Yes, it might. Like Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers. Would you pray with me and we'll gather around the table. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your parables. They're so rich and so wonderful. I thank you that uh, you have taught us about a treasure that we can obtain, grasp. Thank you that for becoming the treasure by becoming sin for us. For paying the price it took for us to be bought and have access to the real treasure. God, show us what we treasure that is not you. And give us the faith and the guts and the strength to treasure the treasure, to treasure you. What is permanent and what is eternal over the things that are temporary in our lives. Help us to encourage those we know and those we meet to encourage them to understand what the treasure is, that they might be someone searching who finds the pearl, that they might stumble into the treasure through us. We love you. We treasure you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Once a month, we share communion. Um, We believe that the elements that we hold, uh, like I don't do anything to them, they're symbols. They're very important symbols. We don't believe they literally become Jesus' body or literally become Jesus' blood. They're they're symbols. When he was in the upper room, he, he broke bread. And he said, this is my body. I mean, literally, it wasn't his body. His body was still there. He was being symbolic, like a parable. And here's what he was teaching his disciples. There's a treasure. I remember I told you guys about the treasure. Access to the kingdom. There's a price. There's a price that has to be paid that we could never pay have access to the kingdom of heaven and Jesus was teaching I am going to pay the required price 
There's one other interpretation of especially the second parable today, the, the pearl of great price. It kind of looks at it. the first one is the, the guy understands the treasure and its access to the kingdom. And then there are some scholars who think the pearl merchant who is searching for the treasure is Jesus. And, and the pearl was his church. And he gave up everything he had to buy that pearl for himself. And in that interpretation, it fits communion a little better because that would be Jesus laying down all he has, his very life, having his father turn his back on the son and forsake him due to our sin. Why would he do that? Because of his pearl, his church, his bride. So what we remember this morning through this process, it's a picture of the gospels that Jesus paid the price our sins required. And we might become his pearl because he is our treasure. Lord, as the bread comes around, we remember that this is your, a symbol of your body that was broken because the price of punishment for our sin had to be paid. God, you didn't want us to be taken from the net and cast into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you took your son and you put him through that fiery furnace because of our sin. You cast him from the net under the weight our sins deserve. What should happen to us is what happened to him. And it was the price that he paid to buy us. We thank you for that price and we remember it now while the bread comes around. Bless our time with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was betrayed. He took that bread, held it up to his friends, said, this is my body. He ripped it in half. He said, it's broken for you. Then he asked us, as often as we do this, we remember what he did for us, what made a wretch his treasure. Amen. Do this in remembrance. Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But the blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away sins. Only the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And with the juice in these cups, we symbolize His blood. This is what makes us keepers in the eyes of God. It's the only thing that makes us keepers. In the eyes of God, our, our song for meditation, you sing it if you want. You can just sit there silently if you want. It's going to say, I'm prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love, I treasure. I'm prone to chase all these other things and be tempted to treasure them above you. And we remember through this what our treasure is and the price that was paid to grant it for us that he might bind our wandering hearts to him why because he won't take us to heaven if we're unfaithful no because he's better because he's better
Father God, as the as this juice comes around, as the symbol of the price that gave us access to the treasure. We are prone to wander. Bind us to you. Not because you're not faithful to forgive our sins, but because you're better than what tempts us. Commune with us around this cup and bless the time in Jesus' name. Amen. same Passover meal after the the bread had been served he took the cup told his disciples this this is my blood it's the blood of a new covenant it's poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins so it gives us access to the treasure may we treasure what we ought to treasure because it's better than the other things our wandering hearts attach themselves to. Amen? We do this in remembrance of Him.